Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. So as I've stated multiple times, we, we are living in the tension of the already, but what? But not yet. I'm going to need my glasses. I was going to try to read without it, but I can't, I can't see without them. So Marilyn said to put them on the end of my nose. So. Or get bifocals. Um, we're living in the tension of the already, but not yet. In the tension that we are already saved in our justification, but we aren't yet fully glorified yet. Right? So all of us are living in that. Um, before I go further, does everybody have handouts? Yes, everybody that wants one? Okay, great. Uh, one of those tensions that we are living in is that we keep on doing the same old things over and over again. So these would be sins of commission, and they would be sins of omission. How many times do we start off on Monday with a new determination that this week I'm going to do better? Has anybody ever done that? I have. Absolutely. Paul was very familiar with that struggle, wasn't he? He wrote this in Romans 7, and I think this is on your handout. I don't know that, though. He said, the very thing that I want to do, I don't do. That Those are sins of omission. And that which I don't want to do is the very thing that I do. Now, I don't know about you, but I know when I was converted that many, many desires and many sins um, fell away. I had no desire for certain things anymore, and I had new desires for certain things that were good and righteous and holy. But I have to be honest, obviously, that many of those things came with me. Many of those remnants of the old man have come with me and just clung to me like, like barnacles, almost. So when I think of these things, I think of a, a book that, that Jerry Bridges wrote called Respectable Sins. Has anybody ever read that book? Several of you, okay. So he, he talked about these sins that were so-called respectable. They were, they were kind of easy to overlook or maybe to make excuses for. And frankly, we all have them. So does anybody, can anybody think of some of maybe these respectable sins Maybe those of you that, that, that have read the book. What would we call respectable? Uh, Darren said going over the speed limit, and I do not know to whom he is addressing that. Probably one of you in here. That's not all that respectable, actually. Respectable sins. Things that are easy to overlook. Worry. Worry. Very good. Gluttony. Yeah, I overlooked that quite easily. Putting family first. Kind of a disobedience of the first commandment, really. Right? You shall have no other gods before me. But we do it because that's a good thing. Rick. Watching TV shows that we ought not watch. What else? 
Yeah. Yeah, so Paul wrote, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. And Darren said, something as simple as drinking a glass of water. Do we do that to the glory of God? And if we don't, that's a, that's a sin. Joel. Whatever you do, do it wholeheartedly. Do it to the glory of God. Anyone else? Here's, here's a little summary from, from Bridges' book. So, I think somebody already mentioned that. How about anxiety and frustration? Is that a sin? Be anxious for nothing. How about discontentment? Unthankfulness? Ingratitude? Pride? And pride is a deceiver, is it not? It deceives every one of us in here. It's also known as a breeder sin. It breeds a whole lot of other uh, sins in our lives. Selfishness. A lack of self-control. Impatience and irritability. Are these sins? Easy to look over, aren't they? Easy to make excuses for. Yes, sir, Joe. I haven't found it in the Bible yet, but I know what you mean. Yeah, I'm proud of my, I'm proud of you. Yeah, yeah. I I think I think this type of pride is just thinking more highly of oneself than one ought to think. That is more sentimentality, I think. That you know, I'm sure your grandchildren have never done anything wrong. Well pleased, yeah, definitely. Anger. How many times do we blame someone else for our anger? Judgmentalism. Judging other people. We're not to do that. James chapter 4 tells us. Envy and jealousy. Sins of the tongue. What are sins of the tongue? Gossip and slander. And I think to, to piggyback on what Rick had said, worldliness. We're not to be friends with the world. To be friends with the world is to be at enmity with God or an en- enemy of God. So these are, these are just respectable sins, not to mention maybe gross sins that may, we may deal with, these besetting sins that may be in our lives. So these are struggles, aren't they? They're absolutely struggles. So if we're honest, there are many ways we're not living as we ought to live. There are myriads of other ways that I could mention that we're falling short. And you know, I, th- I think back to, to Justin's class on sanctification, the very last one he did. Does anybody remember what he talked about? The one and others. How many one and others are there in the New Testament? How are we doing there? I'm not doing that well in those areas. These are, this is sin. This is indwelling sin that's in our lives. The Bible teaches us that change is not only possible, I mean, no pressure here, right? But that it's seemingly inevitable 
if we're Christians, that we will change. We will change and we will grow. In 1 Peter 1, he says that he has given us all things for life and godliness. So it's, it's as if God is saying, and Peter's, Peter's saying to us, that God has given you this enormous warehouse of blessings, of abilities. We must apply those. What do you think some of those things are that we've been given for life and godliness? The Holy Spirit. What else? The Word. The Word of God. Fellow believers. Absolutely. How about this? The, the, you know, the Bible tells us that we can be transformed, be changed by the renewal of our minds, Romans 12, 2. How about this? The Bible also says that we've been given a new heart, taken out the, the old one and, and put in a new one. 1 Corinthians 2 tells us we've been given a new mind, but you have the mind of Christ. These are some of these things that God has given us for life and godliness. It even says that we're a whole new creation, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're also a new man or a new self, Ephesians 4. We're even to shine like lights in the world, Philippians chapter 2. And those who are in Christ are also to be known by what? John, John chapter 13. What are we to be known by? Love. Love. We're to be known as being a loving people. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. There's one of those one another's. Maybe the most important one. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Suffice it to say, in our own personal experiences, in our own observations, we, we don't need a Gallup poll to say that Christians struggle with many of these things. Just many of these, even what we may call respectable sins. So, here's the question for the day. And you, you saw at the top, maybe, of your handout, it says, what does it say, two songs playing, I think? Is that what it says, two songs playing? So here's the question. How do we make progress? How do we change? And how does union with Christ help us? Those are the three uh, questions that I want to pose to you this morning and, and maybe offer up some answers. So before I answer that question, another part of living in the tension is that we do have two songs playing in our heads oftentimes. And, and when I say that, I mean us personally. We, we tend to, to gravitate one direction, or we tend to gravitate another direction. And sometimes that's even the counsel that we're offered by our brother or sister if we are struggling. The way that we might frame the argument today, and here's what I mean by these two questions. So the two songs are kind of like this. On one hand, we have God's grace. We have this 
glorious, extravagant grace of God, of which we sing every week. So is our problem that we just don't believe it enough? That's kind of the one song that we hear playing in our heads oftentimes. What do you think the other song that we hear? Grace, and what do you think the other one is? Obedience, absolutely. Grace and obedience are, are holiness. We are called to a very radical discipleship. Absolutely. So everybody kind of picture earbuds. Does everybody know what earbuds are? Those of you over 60? Raise your hand if you don't. I'll... Headphones, earphones. My little children used to call them ear muffins. Picture, picture some earbuds. So we've got one song playing here, and we've got another song playing here. How do we use these in order to grow? Well, out of the first one, let's talk about, let's talk about grace. So, so out of this, we hear something like this. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Or we hear... Here's an oldie but a goodie. Free from the law, oh happy condition. Jesus has bled and there is remission. Or, I just heard this a few weeks ago. We were singing a song in one little line and it quoted Romans 8. It said, there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Jesus. Right? So this free grace of Jesus is wonderful. It's glorious. It's encouraging. So we can all look to the hope that we have in the atoning work of Jesus on the cross, can't we? Absolutely. And in fact, did not Jesus, I think I had those songs up here, yeah. Did not Jesus actually say this? Was this not the words of Jesus? He said, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Who is not encouraged by that? How can we not be encouraged by a call to rest in Jesus? Has anyone here, I'm going to really date myself here, has anyone read the Ragamuffin Gospel? I see a few few of you. Marilyn says she did not. Um, Here's a couple of quotes from it. God loves you as you are and not as you should be because nobody is as they should be. Is that good counsel to give somebody? Yeah, I think so. This one might be a little trickier, but here's another quote. Grace is indiscriminate compassion. It works without asking anything of us. Grace is sufficient. Grace is enough. In and of itself, I think that's a a correct quote if we state it and think it rightly. Okay? In fact, don't we actually sing a song in worship, Mike? Not to call you out there, bud. That's all right. One that goes, your grace is enough, your grace is enough for me, right? So that's a song that we absolutely need to hear. 
Does anybody know what this is? Any art lovers? What is it? It's Rembrandt. What is it? It's called the return of the prodigal son. Consider the parable of the prodigal son and his return. So I ask this. Was it his amazingly dutiful metamorphosis that led him back to the feet of the father? I mean, look at, look at that. He has, I don't know if you can see it, but he has no soles on his shoes. He has worn his shoes out to get back to the father. Absolutely, his need brought him back, but it was the, the radical free grace of the father that led him back. And if we're honest, isn't this a picture of all of us? This is, this is who we all were. We were all once wayward, and we cast ourselves at the feet of a loving father. We were all hopeless, hopeless and with, without hope in this world. This is a picture of all of us. So I say this, out of this one side of our earbud, our ear muffins, we need to crank that volume up to 10. As loud as we can without you know, permanently damaging our ears, obviously, but, but we want to hear it. Hear it loud and hear it clearly. But as we said, there's another side. There's another side that's playing, and that's our obedience. That's our holiness. So it reminds me of another song. The end of the very last line of When I Survey the Wondrous Cross says this. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. That's the other song that we hear playing in our heads. First Peter 1.16, you shall be holy for I am holy. And I don't think any of us here can say that holiness is not a necessity. Anyone? Anyone want to take up the word of God on that? Of course not. From his book, Holiness, J.C. Ryle said this about, about being holy, just practical holiness. He said, do nothing that you would not like God to see. Say nothing you would not like God to hear. Write nothing you would not like God to read. Go no place where you would not like God to find you. Read no book of which you would not like God to say, show it to me. Never spend your time in such a way that you would not like to have God say, what are you doing? Are we not to redeem the time? Are we not to count to number our days? Teach us to number our days. Does this kind of remind you of a little kid song that we used to sing? At least I did growing up. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. It's pretty good theology in there, wasn't there? Can't say that about all children's songs, but, but this one. Oh, be careful, little feet, where you go, hands. We are called to be holy. We can even say that there are warnings for lack of holiness. Hebrews twelve fourteen says, Strive for peace with everyone. And for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So, I think that means that without holiness, we will not see the Lord. If our lives are not holy, we won't get heaven. 
again in Hebrews, and, and I will say uh, Hebrews is a, a very help. All of God's word is helpful. Hebrews is very helpful in its, in its two messages, I believe. Just a little side note. But, but some of these warnings are to us as professors of Jesus Christ. So Hebrews 10.26 says, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Consider that warning. And the same, and the same Jesus who wrote of taking his gentle yoke upon ourselves, he's the same Jesus who also said this, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. He also said that the gate is narrow and the way is hard, which leads to eternal life. And there be few that find it. So, don't, don't, sometimes when you're reading these things and you hear both of these songs playing, don't you just kind of even, even talk to Jesus and say, Jesus, which one is it? Is it, is it rest? Is it death? Is it self-denial? Which, what, what is it? Which one is it? But we do know that personal holiness is definitely a tune that should also be played loudly, right? Absolutely. What are some of the challenges with this? What do you think some of the challenges with that are? Living in the world? Yeah. Everything around us is... Not everything, thankfully. There is the church of Christ. But yeah, in the world today, absolutely. What are, what are these challenges? What, what? Our sinful nature. Kids are... Kids? Darren says kids. Rick? You're in the right class, my friend. I'm just teasing. Grace and obedience, that's why I'm bringing it up. It is hard to reconcile, isn't it? A little bit? Practically? Joel? Joel? Can't be obedient without grace. Absolutely. Darren. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's kind of what I was thinking is that don't we kind of have a tendency to say, don't want to be too much about doing the right thing or avoiding this or not doing that because I don't want to appear to be legalistic. So then the pendulum swings over here, and we, we are in grace, right? And then, then we think, well, I'm not doing everything I ought to do, but it's all of grace, right? So then, I don't know, we're like, we're like that grandfather clock that just keeps going back and forth. Or I think Luther said we're kind of like a, a, a drunken soldier on a horse. We get, fall on one side, and then we fall off the other. It is a challenge, to be sure, we don't want to be legalistic and we don't want to be apathetic, for sure. So, 
Before I answer that question, what I want to do is just take a couple of minutes and just, just speak of things that have been erroneous within the church that we see doctrines that have fallen too far this way or too far this way. And uh, I think you see it on your handout. Here's the argument is the unbalanced views are either pietistic or they are quietistic. Okay, so does anybody want to take a shot at pietism? What is pietism? All about law? Legalism? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Externals. External legalism. Yeah. Uh, John MacArthur wrote a book, and in that book he, he addressed this issue, and he said, he said this about pietism. With pietism, spiritual perfection is entirely dependent upon you. So that would be on this side of the, the ear that we hear these things. Your prayers, your Bible study, your practical good works, all by your self-discipline. And it's got an overemphasis upon self-effort. Okay, so that's pietism. Is that the same as I'll address that later. Um, anybody want to take a shot at quietism? What is quietism? No. Let go and let God. Let go and let God. Again, to quote MacArthur, he says this, Quietism comes from the idea that the believer must remain quiet. Sounds like Buddhism, doesn't it? Empty yourself. Be empty of yourself. Or spiritually passive regarding his or her sanctification. And its great catchphrase is... Let go and let God. Yeah, Carla. Yes. 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 Yeah. Piety is maybe another another word for what? Holiness. To be to be pious is to live a very a life very conformed with God's word. Like the Pope? No. <laughs> so, pietism is an overemphasis, Carla uh, and everyone, on self-effort. Okay, quietism is an overemphasis upon passivity. Okay, so in the history of the church, do you think that there have been bad doctrines taught throughout? What do you think? For sure. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk a little bit about it, but I like church history, so, I, you know, bear with me here. Um, but we can date this um, for me, and I'm not even talking about the Roman Catholic Church, which, you know, those pendulums are even wider in pietism and quietism. They're just heretical, for sure. But I'm just talking about error, overemphasis here and there. 
So I, I go back to um, maybe the 1600s. Richard Baxter was a, was a pastor in the 1600s, and he's written some very good things on practical theology, just, just practical living. I think he's very good there. But his doctrines were bad. I'm just being honest. They were, they were definitely bad. He had an overemphasis upon pietism or piety regarding our justification. And here's one of these words that, you know, you can go home and maybe impress your friends. I don't know. But, but he was what we would call a neonomian. A neonomian. Okay? So neo means new and nomian means law. So he emphasized that a new law had to be put upon our justification. Okay? So I'm going to give you his quote. Okay? This is just a summary quote. What's wrong with this statement? Faith justifies because it obeys. It works. You just added a new law to faith alone. And this was Richard Baxter. He was a contemporary of John Owen, maybe the greatest of all the Puritan pastors. Okay? John Owen wrote many articles and books to combat Richard Baxter on this. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, plus or minus nothing. That's the grace that we hear out of this over here. Okay? Quietism, again, is being so at rest within the inner man that God simply takes a hold of the steering wheel of our hearts and our souls. And um, to be sure, Wesleyans believed in holiness and in living. However, they overemphasized a quietisticness about them. In that, yes? Isn't there a contemporary hymn that reflects that? Jesus, take the wheel. Jesus, take the wheel. I don't know. Is there? Is it? I don't know. I don't know that song. A country and western song. Cute. But anyway, the Wesleyans had an overemphasis upon the passivity, and it spawned some movements throughout the ages. Uh, the higher life movement or deeper life movement, or victorious life movements. Um, several years later, one of those higher life movements uh, really became popular in England, and it was called the Keswick Movement, K-E-S-W-I-C-K. So it's spelled Keswick, but it's pronounced Keswick. I don't know how they got that, but um, the Keswick Movement had an overemphasis upon passivity. What they believed, in a nutshell, was they believed that all Christians go through this crisis in their life, this crisis of need. And by the way, don't we all go through various crises? But they believed that this crisis had to bring us low, and then the application, and a, I would say a misapplication of our union with Christ at that point was that Basically, Jesus took the wheel, you know. I am so empty of myself. I'm learning to live in Christ. And it was really a misapplication of Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And then they stopped. They did not talk about the second half of that verse. Okay. So that's the Keswick movement, if you've, if you've ever heard of it. 
Well, J.C. Ryle wrote a book. He didn't just up and write a book called Holiness just to write about holiness. He actually wrote this book in a direct response to this higher life movement of the Keswick's. So again, this unbalanced view is that we just let Jesus take the wheel. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with that one. Okay? We just, we just let Jesus take control. This is called antinomianism. So again, anti meaning not, law, nomos, antinomianism. So no law. We don't need the law. We just need more of Jesus to take over. Is that balanced? No, it's not. We've seen other movements like this. The, the lordship controversy. Is anyone familiar with the lordship controversy? Basically versus, what would you call it? The, the free grace movement. We would call it easy believism. You kind of hear it in, in words like this. You kind of hear that, well, when I was young, I accept Jesus as my savior. I accepted Jesus as my savior. But later on, I accepted Jesus as my Lord. I made him Lord of my life. Is that correct? Is that good theology? It's not. Absolutely. It's an overemphasis upon passivity or an overemphasis, if we can say it this way, an overemphasis upon grace. Actually, that's not exactly right, but you know what I'm saying. But again, you know, leave it to, to John MacArthur to squash it. He, he squashed that movement with a, with a book called uh, The Gospel According to Jesus. And even within the past 10 or 15 years, we've seen movements that, like the new perspective on Paul, which is just recycled neo-nomianism. Within the Presbyterian Church, we see federal vision theology. This is, this is just a recycling of these old errors where the pendulum has gone too far one way. So these are unbalanced positions regarding grace and holiness. So the point is this, is that confusion has been around a really long time. It has. But let's take it even more personally. Just because we have truth here, sometimes do we overemphasize one or the other in our own lives? You know? So it's kind of like this, what, what Darren was talking about earlier, is that we don't want to fall off one way or the other. Not this Darren, but that Darren. We don't want to fall off on passivity, and we don't want to fall off on, on legalism. So what do we do with those two tunes playing? What do we do? Are we listening to them both at 10? We kind of turn down one, maybe the other, and we kind of listen to them both kind of like at 5 or 4 or something like that. But the reality is, is we need to hear them, hear them both fully and loudly. So what's the answer? What's the answer to this dilemma? So how can we remain balanced in our approach to change and growth? How can we listen to both tunes playing in our head at the same time? We know we need them both. So as to avoid those things, passivity or, or legalism. So we crank them both up to 10 based upon, dump da da dum our union with Christ. That's how we do it. Via our union with Christ. Extravagant grace and radical discipleship are met in the person and work of Jesus Christ himself. Okay? John 1.14, 
And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of what? Of grace and truth. Jesus welcomed prostitutes, didn't he? What did he say about lust? What did he say about lust? He said, if you even look at a woman, you've committed adultery in your heart already. Jesus dined with tax collectors who were the real scoundrels in his day. And yet he told his own disciples to cut off their right hand if it offended them. He's the one who is full of undiluted grace and uncompromising obedience. Did he not obey his father's law perfectly? It's very good news that we can be found right with God apart from ourselves. I'll say that again. It's very good news that we can be found right with God apart from ourselves. Because isn't there an issue with saying just believe more or just obey more? Who does that put in the center? Who does that put in the center? Puts you at the at the center. Takes Christ off of the the center. One of the metaphors that we have for our union with Christ is marriage, and that is that intimate connection that we have with Jesus Christ in all of his glory, in all of his fullness. We have that. I think of Song of Solomon um, right here. This particular verse really, I think, uh, sums it up. My beloved is mine, and I am his. Isn't this what we can say about Christ himself? My beloved is mine, and I am his. This is a song that we need to hear. Because we are one with him, and he is all grace, and all grace flows through him. He is perfect obedience, so the songs of extravagant grace and radical discipleship cannot be separated anymore or any more easily than Christ himself can be separated. So when we listen to one and not the other, in a very real way, we are separating Christ. We're dividing him. As I stated last week, use your imagination. We're prone to live only by facts, such as just believe more, just obey more. This is the application of using your imagination. I want to say it. Just look to him. Just look to him. Isn't that what Hebrews 12 tells us? Look unto Jesus and who he is, and more importantly, that he is one with you, and you are one with him. That is the gospel. That is the good news that all of us have, not just to enter the kingdom, but for growth in grace and godliness. Union with Christ tells us that we cannot separate the work of Christ for us with the person of Christ in us. Otherwise, we run the the risk of loving his benefits more than we love him. Union with Christ also says that he who made the heavens and the earth now dwells within you. 
He is the fount of every blessing. He is the one to whom we sing, Be Thou My Vision. There are so many old songs uh, that speak of this, this vital union. Um, I make no secret that, that and can it be that I should gain is, is probably my favorite hymn. But there's a line in it that says, Alive in him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine. And I think of In Christ Alone, another very, very good contemporary hymn. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. And so the power and the grace are all from him, and we have the privilege of abiding in him, which really is the Christian life. In our union with Christ, we receive what John Calvin called a double grace. Kind of an interesting part of of Calvin's Institutes. Out Out of the third book, he talks about this double grace, meaning that both our justification and our sanctification flow out of, do they flow out of each other? No. They, they flow out of that garden, out of the soil of our union with Christ. Our justification flows out of our union with Christ. Our sanctification flows out of our union with Christ, and it grows in that particular garden. To quote Calvin, he said this, Christ, our righteousness, is the Son S-U-N. Justification is light. Sanctification, it's heat. The sun at once is the sole source of both such that its light and heat are inseparable. At the same time, only light illuminates and only heat warms, not the reverse. Both are always present without become, uh, I think I misprinted it there, but without becoming the other. So life is not possible without light and heat, is it? It's not. We couldn't live. We couldn't survive. When we are united with Jesus, we have the full access of his amazing grace that took away all of our sin, and we have full access to that power which enables us to obey his commands. This is who we are in Christ. We're talking about that double grace there was a, a, another hymn that I think Augustus Toplady got from, from John Calvin called Rock of Ages. Club for me, let me hide myself in thee. But there's a line that he actually says, and, it's, and it says, I don't know, if, yeah, here it is. Does everybody know this line? I think this is what he was talking about, was Calvin's double grace. Be of sin the double cure, save from wrath and make me pure. Be of sin, the double cure. Save from wrath and make me pure. So the advice today is to crank up both sides of those earbuds and hear both of those tunes playing full blast in your life. And I would make the argument that this is how we grow in grace and godliness is extravagant grace, radical discipleship, fixing our eyes fully upon Jesus. All right, I have a couple minutes. So I have, I, have, um, I have two quotes in my phone, and I wish I'd have put them up here. But I only keep, these are the only two quotes that I keep uh, in my phone, which I don't know if that means anything or not. But um, these are really near and dear to me, and I hope you'll listen to them and, and be encouraged. So 
One is by, by C.H. Spurgeon, and one is by Sinclair Ferguson. So I want you to hear these. Spurgeon said this, If you make doctrine the main thing, you're very likely to grow narrow-minded. If you make your own experience the main thing, you will become gloomy and critical of others. If you make ordinances the main thing, you will be apt to grow merely formal. But you can never make too much of the living Christ Jesus. Remember that all things else are for his sake. Doctrines and ordinances are the planets, but Christ is the Son. Get to love him best of all. That was Spurgeon. And uh, Sinclair Ferguson said this. He said, from the New Testament's point of view, those that have almost forgotten about their own spirituality because their focus is so exclusively on their union with Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished are those who are growing and exhibiting fruitfulness. Historically speaking, whenever the piety of a particular group is focused on uh, our spirituality, that piety will eventually exhaust itself on its own resources. Only where uh, our piety forgets about itself and focuses on Jesus Christ will our piety, nourished by the ongoing resources the Spirit brings to us from the source of all true piety, our Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord Jesus Christ. So, fix your eyes upon him. Okay. Any questions? Thoughts? Comments? Let's pray. Our gracious Lord Jesus, we will never have the words of gratitude to speak regarding what you have accomplished for us on that cross. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you humbled yourself, you came to earth, you lived the life that we should have lived in perfect righteousness and holiness to your Father. And you died the death that we should have died. And you drank up every last drop of your Father's wrath. And Father, we do look to that in your Son. But God, so often we don't look to Jesus for our daily living to be empowered as branches abiding in the vine. So often we look to our own resources, we look to our own strength. God, we pray that you would give us humility to know that without Christ, we can do nothing. So we pray that your word would embed itself in us, your spirit would illumine it within us, and that we would grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that you would receive our worship this morning, that it would be a sweet sound in your ear. And we pray for all those who are actively leading and participating, that you would bless them, strengthen them, and that they would help us to see more of you today. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.